You're listening to the EFC Podcast. As Canada changes, so does the Canadian church. That means we are becoming increasingly intercultural, or we could be, and we definitely should be. The Tyndale Intercultural Ministry Centre at Tyndale in Toronto helps churches who want to grapple with this well. They provide intercultural resources, research, and training. I'm Karen Stiller, and I spoke with Dr. Timothy Tang, director of the Tim Centre, and Dr. Robert Cousins, a consultant with the Centre, to find out more. If you haven't read the September-October 2019 cover story of Faith Today, co-written by Timothy Tang, please email us at senioreditor at faithtoday.ca and we'll make sure you get a copy. Timothy and Robert, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. I'd like to start out um, by floating something past you. I've heard scholars and thinkers in Canada say that it's immigration that will save the Canadian church. I'm wondering if you can interact with that. Uh, Robert, maybe you'd like to start. Is that true? I would rather say that the diaspora, the, immig- uh, the immigrant church, will transform uh, the Canadian church. Um, we just published a book at Tim Center called uh, From the Margins to the Center, The Diaspora Effect. And, uh, uh, you know, what we're seeing is uh, the immigrant church is having a transformational impact uh, on the Canadian church. Okay, tell us how. How, how how is it transforming it, Tim? Yeah, no, I think I think tr- transform is a great word that I think Robert uses because you know even historically it has been immigration um, that e- even in the last century, maybe a century and a half, where uh, it is new immigrants that have changed and affected uh, the Christian landscape across Canada. So you know when when Robert says transform, I mean there are there are new immigrants who are coming who are Christians from from other places in the world. I mean whether we. We like it or not, there are a lot of Christians from other places in the world who have uh, an established um, story and narrative of 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 of, of uh, a Christian faith that may be slightly different than our North American one. And so, as they come and come into the the Canadian scene, I mean, they with their practices and the way they they do church and the way they do life uh, may look very different than what we've been used to for many years. Um, and that that in itself will will transform the way we see faith, the way we see the church, the way we see community. I, I think. So is there some kind of process here of having to maybe get over ourselves a little bit as the receiving church, if I can use that term? Like, is it is it difficult for us to, you know, accept that people are arriving who do things differently and maybe think differently about some things? I think, you know, uh, to a certain extent, the Canadian church isn't a, really totally aware of the opportunity that the immigrant church gives. For example, uh, when Tim and I are out speaking at a more Canadian-focused church, uh, we'll we'll say uh, the immigrant, the Canadian church needs to see the immigrant church not as a rental opportunity, but mm-hmm. rather as a kingdom partnership opportunity. Um, and so um, we, you know, the it, it's common knowledge that the mainline denominations are hemorrhaging, declining, uh, and uh, so. It's an opportunity for the Canadian church to partner uh, with um, the immigrant church because normally the immigrant church has a much more, um, you know, bold focus on outreach, on evangelism, on mission, which can have a a transformative influence, uh, I believe, on the Canadian church. 
So let's define some terms. Like I have said uh, the diaspora church before and not really understood what I, what I meant, actually. And even the term immigrant church, what exactly are we talking about? Or who exactly are we talking about? You know, I think when we talk about diaspora, it's just it, it's basically just anyone who's been scattered from their place of origin. So, I mean, diaspora... Uh, biblically, we can go all the way back to the the Jewish diaspora, obviously, and you know when they were outside of Jerusalem and Israel, I mean uh, they they were called the diaspora, so they they were no longer in the place of what they would call an origin place. Uh, so when we talk about even the African diaspora, I mean African diaspora could be in uh, the the Caribbean or could be in other places around the world, which is which is not from Africa. So you know it it really is a scattering of people who are no longer in their place of origin or country of origin, which, I mean, obviously, I mean, you think back really far historically, I mean, uh, when people were a nomadic people, I mean, nobody was really from one place. Um, but that scattering is is seemingly increasing more and more, whether it's by choice today um, or by by being forced to, uh, to be scattered when, you know, refugee situations or, or just uh, diplomatic and political situations, which has caused people to move. Um, but again, sometimes it is by choice, people pursuing a better life in another country. I would just add uh, to Tim's uh, focus on scattering. It's the scattering and the gathering of the church. Uh, yeah, I absolutely. Mean, yeah. That's the whole part here is you get uh, communities uh, that have a cultural affinity uh, coming from a certain culture of origin, uh, they're scattered, but they're gathering, whether it's the Sudanese, the Ghanaian, the Nigerian, the Chinese. So it's this gathering aspect too, which uh, fascinates us. I mean, I think Toronto um, is a gathering place for the nations. So when we say immigrant church, it it sounds like maybe we mean that everybody is the same, but of course, within that uh, body of believers, there must be great diversity and denominational uh, spread. Is that right? Like, who is the immigration immigrant church? Well, I'm not even sure how to answer that. You're, you're right. You're right in the sense that I mean, it is so diverse and so wide. I mean, the immigrant church, um, yeah, historically can be just uh, new immigrants who have come from a certain country and have started to gather, and some of them have very strong. Uh, already strong denominational ties, uh, while others are, are are fiercely independent and tend to have a, a leaning towards being not tied to a denomination. Um, so the immigrant church, you know, I, we, we've tended to use more recently the new Canadian church because I guess, you know, in a way we're all immigrants. Um, but whether you've come in the last five years or you've come in the last 50 years, uh, that's, th there tends to be some distinction in terms of your your immigration history and uh, and how far back it goes. Okay, and is our, uh, like we talked about, Robert, I think you mentioned about um, the church, the sort of established Canadian church, uh, viewing this as like a rental opportunity, um, which of course sounds problematic, but I've also had the impression that, um, you know, uh, like-minded Christians or uh, Christians of the same ethnicity might want to gather together alone together and you know have their own service and so on like our our church in ottawa has a nigerian uh congregation that meets in the afternoon and i presume that it's because they want to um so talk to me about that how how we are separate and how we come together and is there an ideal that we should be working toward 
Well, you know, there's a there's been a big reaction against Donald McGovern's uh, idea of the homogeneous church. Uh, you know, birds of a feather flock together. Uh, people of different culture, ethnic, uh, social status uh, tend to want to gather together, and churches that uh, have that affinity tend to grow faster. There's some uh, truth to that, but I mean, we also think that you know, we can utilize the homogeneous church model, especially for the first generation. So let's say a Canadian established church has a, a large building uh, that could hold three or 400, they're, they're down to 50 people, and they're renting out to three or four immigrant churches to pay the rent. Uh, that's a great thing, but for kingdom partnership opportunities, uh, I think there's a great opportunity for the leaders of those different churches, even though they might worship separately together most of the time, there's opportunities for them to come together, have and demonstrate that the church is made up of different cultures. So have a worship service every couple of months together, have common outreach programs, uh, uh, community transformation events, uh, and especially one big key part, maybe Tim can talk about this, is uh, the whole second and third generation who uh, are speaking English, perhaps don't know the vernacular of their parents, um, are becoming dissatisfied of being pressed into the mold of the culture of their parents. Uh, in a church like that, you can have a, a, a youth group that's made up of different uh, second, third generation uh, youth. I completely agree, Robert, in terms of you saying how the, the you know the two the two communities can come together and really need each other. I mean, yeah, the precisely that 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 second generation and third generation um, new Canadian family. I mean, there's there's such a need for them to be uh, integrated into an English speaking community, and and what that looks like can can vary in so many ways. I mean, uh, you know, a healthy model. I mean, I don't think there's any perfect model, Karen. You you kind of asked about that, and uh, one one good model that we have seen is uh, where sometimes a a new Canadian church will will run their their worship service the same night as the the European Canadian or established Canadian churches uh, youth group the same night as that so that they know that their youth will be going to the English speaking youth program at the established church um, I think that's a great you know relationship where they can say hey we know that we can't run our youth program in English because all of our children speak uh, and and function in a Canadian cultural way uh, and so how do we work together to not just bolster the numbers but to, to really address what does it mean for us to tra transmit faith to the next generation um, which may be more difficult the more we um, need to uh, integrate into a, a new society and, and a new culture. Okay. Are there uh, common blunders you are seeing on the part of the European church, to use your term, Tim, when dealing with a, a congregation from the immigrant church? What, are, what do we do wrong when we're interacting between communities? I think the biggest blunder is the lack of self-awareness. Okay. Um, you know, Tim and I recently did... Um, some intercultural training for uh, a large denomination. And uh, we went to do leadership training uh, on intercultural competency. And, uh, you know, Dr. Tang was the only visible minority among the group. Uh, and so uh, I think, you know, one of the blunders is we're not helping the emerging new immigrant leader into positions of leadership within our denominations. We're not 
taking advantage of that. When we do missions, uh, we're going to some part of the world and we have got bridge people in our denomination that could go with us to interface with the culture to which they're they're going to. And so we're not aware and utilizing uh, the leverage that we have in partnering with the diaspora immigrant church. I think self-awareness of the potential of partnership for kingdom outcomes is perhaps for us the biggest blunder. And therefore, if I can just put a plug in there in here, that for us, the biggest challenge for the Tim Center is not delivering intercultural training. The biggest challenge for us at the Tim Center is getting churches to see that they need intercultural training. Oh, that's uh, the, the very business, interesting. The business world will uh, spend thousands of dollars uh, to train business people going into different cultures. But for us to get the church to motivate to see intercultural competency uh, is something that uh, churches need. Uh, you know, that, that's what saddens our heart. So, Robert, you, you use the term intercultural competency, competencies, and I'd love uh, to have you guys unpack that, and let's talk about which competencies uh, the Canadian church really needs to be zero, zeroing in on. So, Robert, can you uh, help us understand what you mean by that? Well, let me give you the big picture, and then maybe Tim can get into more of the details. Uh, you know, here in Canada, we hear a lot about multiculturalism, and uh, Multiculturalism is getting a bad rap these days, especially in Europe. Uh, it basically has imploded. It just doesn't seem that uh, people are coming together uh, and from diverse countries and you're getting a lot of inclusion. And so um, we feel uh, at the Tim Center, our ministry focus is we hear a lot about diversity and inclusion, uh, but we feel that to move from diversity to uh, true inclusion, uh, you need to have intercultural competence. Uh, intercultural competence gives you the knowledge and the skills and the self-awareness uh, to help to make a diverse uh, community and context into a more inclusive uh, context uh, and community. So perhaps Timothy uh, can share a little bit more about the details of intercultural competency. Yeah, I mean, there's actually quite a, a lot of different definitions for intercultural competency. And there's actually a lot of different uh, terms that people are using talking about the same thing. Uh, people will say cross-cultural sensitivity, um, global competence. Uh, and it's, it seems like different fields will prefer different terms for the, the actual title of it, I guess. We've been using intercultural competence mainly from the, the work that we do. You know, and, and one, one you know, kind of common definition for that would be you know, the ability to communicate effectively and appropriately in intercultural situations based on one's knowledge, skills, and attitude. And really that, that knowledge, skills, and attitude becomes kind of the, the you know, maybe the sub overarching uh, way of categorizing things, you know, in one, on one hand, um, uh, attitude being, you know, kind of an emotional intelligence, knowing what are our own perceptions of uh, working with people who are different than us. Um, how are we aware of even just our own values and perspectives uh, and then now moving uh, beyond that to, to have an openness um, to desire uh, people who are different, to, to realize the need to be inclusive, not just, you know, to make people feel good, but, uh, but that we can be better. We ourselves can be better 
the more we interact with people who are different than us. Uh, and then moving beyond that to the actual skills and the actual skills of being able to interact, ask better questions, uh, receive answers, and to be able to integrate and, and to answer questions that people are asking us um, who are different than us and to, to be receptive around those. And so really, you know, that, that attitude, the, the knowledge and the skills becomes kind of those three major areas of of being interculturally competent uh, when working, whether organizationally or even on an individual basis. I mean, uh, that competence uh, becomes something that, that becomes a part of almost everything that we do, the way we think, uh, the way we choose our meals, the way we choose our friends. I mean, those are, are things that uh, are, are difficult questions to take and yet important and integral to, to being able to move and journey towards uh, a broader intercultural and inclusive um, society and community. If I can just um, make a point here, I mean, in our training uh, philosophy, we distinguish between cross-cultural and intercultural. Uh, cross-cultural is going from one distinct culture to another distinct culture and usually involves a geographical distance. So a lot of the, the missionary work of going from your country to another country, that would be cross-cultural. And we would say, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. The onus is on the person going to the other culture to seek to adapt to the cultural norms and value of the culture they're going to. Intercultural is quite different in that uh, now with uh, different cultures living in close proximity, uh, you're moving in and out of different cultures in your workplace, on your neighborhood, street, uh, in your church. And so the onus then is, well, the question is, where is Rome? Uh, Rome is everywhere. And so the onus is on every culture needs to develop more self-awareness uh, and more intercultural awareness in order to engage. It's not just one culture learning to adapt to another culture. There's this intercultural uh, dynamic to it. Robert, would you would you even going back to sorry, I'm not taking hopefully I'm not becoming the leader here. <laughs> you but, go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but Robert, you know, you, you referred earlier about um, you know, the failure of multiculturalism and and um and and the, the challenges that have come from it when when people are just focusing on multicultural. Do, do you feel like maybe that's that's the reason why, you know, whether in Europe or in other places, uh, you know, multicultural has kind of has 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 had its challenges that we haven't as a society, as a, as as nations, we haven't pushed into that intercultural question and that 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 journey. Yeah, I think so. But I think one of the reasons why Canada is becoming more of a model for multiculturalism is if you can if you compare Canada to some of the European countries uh, here in Canada, uh, a new Canadian is, is very much fast tracked. Uh, to citizenship. So within three years, you can be a citizen. And so uh, we use hybrid language. Like I remember doing a seminar and um, uh, I got someone angry because the guy came up to me and says, Mr. Cousins, uh, four or five times you said uh, uh, you're Irish Canadian. When are you going to stop saying you're Irish Canadian and just say I am Canadian? And uh, this person was south of the border. And I said, well, look, I'm not going to stop saying it because here in Canada, 
uh, we encourage people to celebrate their own cultural identity and at the same time celebrate the fact that they're a part of a country and culture that celebrates uh, diversity of cultures. And um, so I think Canada is kind of unique on that sense of um, people can have a sense of Canadian identity in a much shorter time than some of the other countries where uh, multiculturalism is not working. So having said that, uh, what what is your critique of Canadian culture right now then with these issues? Because it does get talked about more and more, it seems. Um, what could we be doing better? Yeah, I, I think my, my first response would be to that is that um, to, to never just be satisfied, to, to never think that we've achieved, um, you know, true inclusion or true diversity. I mean, um, you know, I mean, there may be a celebration of different cultures, but what, when, when do we start really integrating? When do we start really moving towards um, uh, learning from each other and, and, and being transformed with one another? We, we used that word earlier. And, you know, when I think about diversity and inclusion, I love how Robert talked about intercultural competency links together diversity and inclusion. Another way to think about diversity and inclusion is that uh, diversity is is kind of like the noun. Like that's the in any situation, any group of people, there is some sort of diversity. But inclusion, uh, another way to think about it is inclusion is the verb. Inclusion becomes the way in which we we um, identify the differences that we have and make people feel part of the whole. Pushing beyond that to me becomes transformation. So you move from diversity to inclusion to transformation, where we're each changed and formed and affected by one another. That Irish Canadian comment that that Robert made to me uh, is beautiful when we start thinking and realize that um, that it's a fusion of the two. That you know, for myself as a Chinese Canadian, and I and I'll, I'll constantly call myself a Chinese Canadian as well. Uh, I know I'm not exactly split. 50% Chinese and exactly split 50% Canadian, but it's the fusion of the two that becomes the new thing or the new uh, expression or the new creation. I mean, not to get all biblical here, but it's the new creation for me of what it means to be uh, both Chinese and Canadian and having the fusion of the two. And that expresses itself not just on an individual level, but now on, <clears throat> on a corporate level uh, within churches uh, and now communities and neighborhoods that how can we rediscover something new that both communities uh, or, or multiple communities can bring to the table. A core part of our intercultural uh, philosophy and training uh, is built around a developmental model, uh, which uh, we use when we do our training. So we do the intercultural development inventory. It's an assessment that uh, people can do online. Uh, and it's basically trying to answer the question, where are you? on your intercultural journey. And so it's looking at, at five stages. I won't go into all the five stages, but it's looking at moving from a monocultural way of looking at the world. That is, uh, you were embedded in a culture that's giving you a set of lenses which you uh, view and interpret the world around you. That's more the monocultural. Some people never move out of that primary culture way of looking at others and life. And it's moving uh, in a developmental way to a more intercultural, where you're able to empathize and perhaps learn to look uh, through the eyes of the other to see, hey, they will look at life differently from me. And that doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. Now, in the middle of this developmental model, 
Uh, the middle stage is called minimization. Minimization is now we enjoy being with other people of different cultures, but we tend to minimize the cultural differences. So uh, people at minimization tend to look for the commonalities that right. we, we share with other people. Now, uh, I like what one of our friends said, uh, Canadian multiculturalism is at minimization. Uh, there's this kumbaya feeling that we're all part of this collective intercultural uh, body, but let's not discuss about God. Let's not discuss about gender issues uh, and these type of things, because those will lead to uh, friction. And and so, uh, so, you know, we got to move beyond the commonality. I say tongue-in-cheek. When I go into a church and I see 40 national flags around the church and I see a very multicultural uh, congregation uh, and they say we're multicultural, look at our church congregation. We have three pot blessed dinners uh, every year. But when you look at what's happening on the platform, nothing has really changed over the last 30 years. Right. Right. It's, it's still an assimilation model where if you come to this church, even though you come from different cultures, you assimilate into a dominant culture, a way of doing church. And that's minimization, looking at the commonalities. And I think, you know, for us, uh, our thing is, you know, we got to move beyond that uh, to start looking and listening uh, to the differences and learning to respect and accept the differences, not just look for the commonalities. So tell me what the training actually looks like. So if, if a church, I'm assuming that you're training churches or groups from churches, this isn't like an individual training thing, correct? Uh, it can be, it can be both individual and group. Um, so we have done it where it's just kind of one off a single leader will come to us or a pastor or, or even, you know, non-faith faith groups have come to us as well, um, where we'll, we'll train one person or we'll train their entire team. Obviously, I mean, if there is a team, uh, you know, the team training and assessment and, and coaching, uh, it, it's obviously much more beneficial. I mean, if you just do some basic leadership training, you train one person, it's not going to be as effective as you train the whole group. Um, so there is that flexibility and uh, there is that effectiveness of being able to train an entire leadership team uh, or even, you know, I mean, we would have the ability uh, to train the, you know, an entire church or congregation. I mean, it'd take a, a little bit more time, but, but uh, there is that, that flexibility and, and possibility of, of working with a larger group as well as uh, like an inner circle or, or the, the top leader of, uh, of a community or organization. Okay. And how is there a standard length of time? Like, I, are you going to the church? Is the church coming to you? Is this online? Tell me about the mechanics of it. One of the things um, we did when Dr. Timothy Tang came on board and we worked together, um, uh, we said, well, let's develop some online modules uh, of intercultural training that people can do on Moodle online. Tyndale does a lot of, uh, you know, uh, courses online. And so uh, what we do is uh, in this over a three to four month period, uh, we'll start with a group. They'll go through this intercultural assessment. Where are you on your intercultural journey? Uh, we will have a one-hour debrief with each of the person going through their uh, assessment results. 
uh, then they will go online and they'll work through uh, these four intercultural models, which has a handbook with it, which has training notes, questions to struggle with. Um, and part of the idea is over, you could do this in two weeks, but to develop intercultural competency takes time. So we do it over three months and we say, look, engage with one or two people within your network who comes from a different culture, maybe a different religion, and start getting beneath the surface around the assumptions and the values and the worldview and the beliefs that people have. Uh, and then as we work towards uh, the end of the course, uh, we will, after three, four months, we will give them a second online assessment uh, and we will write up a report and say, look, this is where you were in your intercultural journey. You've made a little progress here. You're struggling here. Uh, and so we try to help them. And part of the idea is with the intercultural uh, assessment, there's a coaching guide. And with this coaching guide, they're able to build uh, their own coaching plan with some help on here are things that I'm going to do to be intentional in seeking to develop intercultural competence. So a big, a big aspect is intentionality. It just doesn't happen. Uh, and so we're providing some tools and some skills uh, to help people be more intentional uh, in their intercultural journey. Yeah, most recently we have kind of that uh, set program where we've been doing it over uh, just a few months, uh, both individuals and teams and such. Uh, but you know, we, we have really been, tr been trying to be as much, uh, learner based as possible. So, you know, whether a community is looking for, a, you know, a quick weekend seminar, I mean, you, you, you get what you not pay for, but you get what you're able to, 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 uh, to incorporate, you know? So on one hand, some organizations we've done just like a one hour seminar. I mean, but that's all you really get in terms of, uh, depth and, and, and um and uh, and content i guess uh, whereas others i mean we actually just wrapped up a, a two-year contract with a a local shared service a community service uh based agency in, in the city uh, and that was a two-year project where we were doing training uh it was much more invasive obviously we were running training on the ground uh working with many of their leaders and their staff uh we had assessments for you know multiple classes cohorts i guess um and so it, it, we we have had the flexibility of being able to adapt to where an organization is and where they're what they're ready for, um, so and, you know, and it, on other circumstances, it could be yeah, a, a weekend retreat where we're working with leaders a lot more intentionally. But it's you know, it's kind of one and done. Um, yeah. But yeah, we have that flexibility of working around different organizations and leaders. Tim, you did mention you know you kind of get what you pay for. I do want to know: do churches have to pay for this, or how does that work? Uh, yeah, there 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 is costs. Um, we, 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 at the same time, have worked hard to try to get uh, different organizations who believe in the same cause that we are, who are, who are trying to fund things. Uh, they've been giving scholarships. They've been giving a lot of support to, to many of our programs. Uh, you know, the, the programs say that Robert just outlined, um, you know, with the assessment and, and kind of a training course over a couple of months. Uh, for, for an individual, I mean, usually that's, that's approximately like $400 or so, um, you know, give or take, depending on, on exactly what that looks like. Uh, but of course with a, with a larger group, I mean that we can, we've had the ability to, to kind of work around, uh, kind of a sliding scale to see what works for an organization. Um, and obviously, uh, the more we can have, uh, churches or communities, organizations partner with other organizations, the, 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 the greater the, the impact that we find and the greater the, the ability also then to ask for other donors to say, Hey, can you get behind this? You know, we, we had two uh, 
uh, two Baptist churches uh, in, in the GTA who came together and they said, hey, we really want to work together on this. And so we were able to go to, to the denominational office and say, hey, this is training for your churches. Are, can you get behind this? And they did. They, 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 uh, they fronted some of the, the, the resources and finances for that. And so we were able to come together and train on a wider scale because groups were coming together. And so that, yeah. was, uh, that was pretty effective. Now, if a church in New Brunswick wants to do it, how, how can that work? Everything comes down to, uh, to cost. A lot of it can be done online. Uh, you know, if we have the finances, you know, we could send someone down and do a retreat and make this part of a weekend retreat uh, as part of the online. And so uh, it can be taken by extension. Yeah. Sure. That being yeah. said, I think I think um, I, I think as much as we we feel like there are some strengths that we bring to the table, I, I think one thing that I've been really proud of that 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 Robert has always made a part of uh, the, the Tim Center has been our partnerships and collaboration. So when we think about the national scope, I mean, yeah, right away when somebody from the West Coast comes to us and says, you know, hey, we're doing this in in Calgary and we'd love to explore this conversation, immediately becomes, well, who are our partners uh, that are in Calgary that we can work together with? Well, let me say as we as we draw to a close, I I love the idea of uh, the word intercultural and what it means and how it's uh, so deeper and more relational than multicultural. I think uh, you use the word fusion, which really touched me, and I'm feeling like this is uh, like ultimately and deeply about a heart change um, and a heart Definitely. growth. Uh, and so, this may be really hard to answer, but if you have one bit of advice right now for something that a church can do now, pre-training, um, to become more truly intercultural, what would that be? For a church, a local church in any place in Canada, I would simply even just say, start opening your eyes to see what God is already doing in your neighborhood, in your community, in your town. Are there people already there who are different than what your church has been, who God has brought as your neighbors, you know, whether they are new Canadians, whether they are refugees, or maybe they're just migrant workers who have come and who seem to be coming year after year and now making their home in Canada. You know, what does that mean for us to truly love our neighbors? And it really starts on the ground. Like who is in our neighborhood and do we know them? Do we really know their story? Do we really know their history? And what's the story that they're bringing that can fuse together with our story as we share life together. Karen, I did a, a seminar for an Alliance church in Scarborough, and I think it illustrates the, the point that the vision has to come from the leadership. And the young lady who was the outreach pastor organized over a few months Sunday evening gatherings, thinking about the demographics and the new people groups coming into their, their neighborhood. And so this person, she organized four evening sessions and at those evening sessions she would have different nationalities and cultures bring some food just to expose people a little bit to different cultures she got someone to come and and talk a little bit of introducing the, the whole intercultural competency thing she brought someone in who was going to speak on a certain religious worldview and she had like a passport where people could stamp their passport. And so I thought it was very creative. And so my point would be, it has to start with a vision from the leadership. And there are lots of people who are willing to help, but to get the person with the vision and the leadership to make it happen, 
that's what we're trying to do is to find those leadership people and to work with them. Robert and Timothy, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Karen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.